book of Mark chapter 16. The book of Mark chapter 16, we'll begin reading in verse 1. You got to say so. The word of God declares, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the Mary the mother of James, Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father, we thank you so much for this day and this opportunity, Father God, for the privilege that we have to worship you. God, today I ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord God, that I would decrease and that you would increase and that you would be glorified, Lord God, that you would bring edification to our lives through your word as we look upon it today. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We find here a familiar portion of scripture, I would think, to all of us. When we come to church on Resurrection Sunday, usually we're going to hear about this resurrection. Amen. It's a special day for the church. And we find here, and I want to share the message that I've entitled today, and it is entitled Hope Realized. Hope Realized. Sometimes we lose our hope. Amen? In this particular story here, and, and the reason why this is important is because one of the worst places to find ourselves is in the place of hopelessness. When we see our dreams, our plans, our anticipations come to nothing, it is devastating. When we have ideas and we think this is how my life is going to be, this is how everything is going to pan out, this is how everything is going to work out. When things do not work out that way, when things do not come to pass the way that we anticipate, when things happen in our lives that are discouraging and frustrating, when things like that occur, it is devastating to us. Even more so is when we, we end up in situations that we can't even see why. How did we end up here? Ever, ever, ever been in a place like that? Talk to me now, glory to God. Been in a place where you find yourself somewhere and you can't even find the road map as to how you, you can't see what you did to deserve where you're at. Amen. It's a tough place to be. Not understanding you try to do things right and you end up in despairing moments and feelings like that. It's hard when we're in that place because we can't see the reason. But more importantly, it's even more difficult because we can't even see God's sovereign plan in it all. When we're in the midst of despair, when we're in the midst of discouragement, we can't see it. God can see it. And sometimes we're like, God, can you just give me a little glimpse? Can you just show me a little bit of what it is that you're trying to do here? Because I, I, I don't get it. I don't see it. It's a, de it's a despairing place to be. When we look at the gospel, when we look at the gospel, 
We look at this particular portion of the gospel. Between the cross and the resurrection, that was the most hopeless time the disciples had ever experienced. Between the cross and the resurrection. Understand this. Before the cross, they walked with Jesus. They saw the miracles Jesus did. They experienced his teaching, his preaching. They were rebuked by him, encouraged by him, challenged by him, empowered by him. They saw him do amazing things. They saw him walk on water. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him cause people who were bent over to stand up straight, withered hands coming forward. People who were in graves that he came forward and called them out. He, they saw glory. They were like, man, this, this is awesome. The Messiah, the Son of God, the one that we've been waiting for is here. Then that dark day came. When they come, take Jesus at night. He comes out of a prayer time, an agony of his soul. And as he's praying, crying out to God, God begins to prepare him, strengthen him for that moment. He goes there. All of his disciples flee. Why? Man, I saw him walk on water. I saw him turn water into wine. Every time someone came and asked him a question, he always refuted them. He always tore them up. He always made them be like, man, we got to come get him again. This time, wasn't like that. This time, he let them take him. They see Jesus crucified, see him hang up on that cross, and we get those pretty pictures, you know, the crosses that wear around our necklaces, you know, a little wrap wrapped around, and it looks cute and everything. I want you to know, man, it wasn't that cute. The cross was horrific. He was beaten beyond. He was beaten to the point that his mother couldn't even recognize him. Beaten totally. They watched that. Like, I thought you were bringing this kingdom. They were in a despairing moment. They didn't understand. For the last three years, they followed him. For the last three years, they obeyed him. Now, their savior, their king, their deliverer. He's hanging up on a cross. They see him get his side pierced through, confirming he's dead. Water and blood flow out. What does that confirm? He's dead. He's dead. His disciples scatter. They go away. We find him in this despairing moment. And each of us in our lives have those dark, depressing, and despairing moments. When it seems as though Christ has failed to accomplish his purpose and fulfill his promises to us. But you know what the beauty of this is? is that we get to see the end of the story. You see, they didn't, but we do. And we get to look at the resurrection and say, wait a second, you want to talk about despair? That's despair. You want to talk about depression? That's depression. And at the end of it all, what happens? Jesus rises. The resurrection occurs. And so what does that tell us in moments that we are hopeless? It is that we need to have our hope realized. We need to realize that Christ is our hope. Say it with me. Christ is our hope. When we look at the resurrection, we see clearly that he is our hope. This is what we've got to grasp here today. And if there's one thing that I hope that you will get it is this. It is that our hope must not rest solely in promises, but in the one who promised. So when we look at our Bible, sometimes we disconnect our Bible from the one who inspired it. And we look at promises and say, well, he promised to do this. He promised to do that. He promised to do the next thing. He promised all of these things. But we forget it's not solely about the promises. It's about the promiser. 
Is it about the one who promised and is able to accomplish everything that he said he was that he said he was going to do? Anything that he says, it is connected to him. And when we understand that, it was beautiful. Beautiful. See, you, you, you see the dance ministry up here, right? You notice who did Jehovah Rapha? Did you notice that? Who was it? In case you didn't know, it's Pastor Robert Bennett's sister, Michelle Bennett. She had an amazing bout with cancer, and she won in Jesus' name. Did God miraculously come and heal her? Not the way that we wanted. Not the way that we prayed for. And guess who was the one? I could, when, she, when she just did that, Jehovah Rock could see the devil. Just, boom. I, I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, like, look, she's like, what? And what? By the grace of God. You know why? Because she wasn't solely holding on to a promise. She said, take your promise. Just don't take yourself. I want you above anything else. And she held on to that. And as Christians, we must be the same way in every area. Because there are some, hear me, hear what I'm going to say. There are some areas where we are not going to see the promise happen the way we expect. And yet, the promiser remains faithful. God doesn't promise that we're going to have a peachy and everything's going to be perfect life. But he promises us that wherever we walk, if we submit to him, he will walk with us. We need hope, church. When we look at this story here in this particular portion in the beginning, we'll read in verse 1. And we see here, and, and, and we'll read it together. Verse 1 says this, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? We find that when they come to this tomb, they're coming here with a, with, 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 with a mindset and with a purpose. Say this with me. Loss of hope, Loss of hope. turns discipleship into dead devotion. When you lose hope, you go from being a disciple, a student, an intimate pupil of the master to one who lives in dead devotion. What do I mean? What I mean is you can come to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. You can do all of the religious activities and still it be dead devotion when there's no real hope. When you're really not believing him, when you're really not trusting him, when you are really not walking with him as you ought to, dead devotion. You went from the place of being a disciple, intimate in relationship. And you know what happens in this case? And I want to say this because I need, I need to point this out really quickly here. I want you to notice who was coming to the tomb. It wasn't the male disciples. It was the female disciples. Now what they did, I was like, okay, they should have done something better. But you know what? At least... At least they came because the act that they were going to do, they were bringing spices. The Egyptians were different than the Jewish people. The Egyptians used to embalm the bodies. No stench, no anything. It would just be fine. Jewish people didn't do that. And so what were they doing? What they were doing is when you love someone, you know how when you go to someone's grave and you go and you bring flowers, this is where this, this mindset comes from. Because when you come there, what do you want to do? You want to leave a fragrance. So your memory of that place is a good one. Amen. What do they do? They're coming with spices. 
Because they didn't embalm bodies, so what would happen? As the body decayed, the stench would begin to rise. So what they would do is they would come and anoint the body to do what? To remove the stench of death. When they came to the grave, though, they should have been looking for the resurrected Savior. When they came to the grave, they shouldn't have brought spices. They should have remembered what Jesus said, in three days I will raise this temple up. They should have remembered that, and they should have come there and said, all right, Lord, we're waiting. That's what should have happened. And it shouldn't have just been them. It should have been all the disciples should have been at that tomb saying, listen, he promised something. But they lost hope. So their discipleship turned into dead devotion. So they did the best thing they could think of. You know what I'll do? I'll go on ahead and I'll make my dead stuff be fragrant. Isn't that what we do? You know, you know the saying, just fake it till you make it. Making dead stuff smell good what we do things that are dead in our life we try to pretty them up we live our lives and we say you know what i want to drive the right car i want to have the right house i want to and we're gonna get into this a little bit later in a moment but you know i want to have all of these things i got to have the right wife or the white the right husband i got all of these things right what are we doing we're trying to pretty up dead stuff the question is do i have jesus the question is, do I have the Savior? It's not about how my life looks on the outside. It's about who I have on the inside. We try to pretty it up, try to make it all smell good, try to anoint. And it's amazing because when I think about this, they were coming to anoint him, and they would have missed the anointing that was coming if they stood in that mindset. Did you hear what I just said? We do it all the time. We pretty everything up, and we miss what God wants to do in our life. We try to make it look okay so we can appease our own conscience, our own mind. We try to deal with things that way. And you know what we do? We miss what God wants to do in our life. We miss how God wants to bring transformation. Our dead devotion can cause us to miss the resurrection power of Jesus. Say the second thing with me. The message of the resurrection should awaken real hope in us. When you look at this story, if you look in verse 4 here, they, they were, they were, they're coming to the tomb, and as they're getting there, their conversation is this. And the way that it reads is they continue to ask each other, who's going to move this stone? Who's going to move this stone? These are women. As you know, these women are walking to the tomb. There's no guys there. So, you know, they're just acknowledging this is a huge stone. How are we going to move the stone? They're having this conversation, going on and on about that. Verse 4 says, it, says this, but when they looked up, in other words, it gives us the picture that as they're coming to the tomb, their heads are down, shoulders are down, bent, backs are bent over. They're looking down and like, man, who's going who's gonna to move this? And the Bible says they look up. Can I tell you something? We need to learn to look up. We need to learn to look up to the one who really is going to bring us help who is truly going to bring us deliverance. The Bible says here, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. But the first thing they do is they see, wait a second, the stone is rolled away. What is going on here? They enter in in verse 5 to the tomb and they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. They were awe-stricken. Everybody who reads this, they, they, or, or every, everyone who's commented on this, they say this is an angel that is there. It's not, a, it's not just a young man. It's an angel. It's a host of heaven that is there waiting for them to do what? To declare to them the message of the resurrection. You and I need to be those angels of hope in a world that is hopeless. Communicating to them that there is resurrection power. That Jesus is risen. 
But he said to them, because they're alarmed, they're frightened. And verse 6, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. He declares unto them there is victory in Jesus. He's not laid down there anymore. He's risen. He's resurrected. It's amazing because when they walked into this, in, into this tomb, the disciples were shocked to find the stone moved and more so that Jesus was no longer lying in the tomb. If you continue to read, you can read this gospel, read the other gospels, you'll find that when they go back at the report, the people didn't want to believe them. The other disciples were like, man, y'all are crazy. But they weren't crazy. They were like, yo, we saw this. They were shocked. When I look at this, you know, you see someone who's dead and they have those things, I don't know what they're called, that they rub them together and they shock treat their chest. What's that called? Somebody know? Yell it out. All right. There you go. Defibrillator. Glory to God. That's what that was for them. They were dead. They had no hope. They walk into the situation. Oh, wait a second. Hold on a second. What's going on here? That's what the resurrection does when you really get it. It's amazing to us. It's amazing to me how today we're still looking. And I love because in one of the other gospels, I believe it's in the book of Luke, when, you, when they're reading the account, he says, you are looking for the living among the dead. And it's amazing to me how we do the same today. We look for the living among the dead. What do I mean? for love in all the wrong places. Y'all heard that song a long time ago. Even if you didn't like that kind of music, you still know the song. I ain't going to sing it because that'll be crazy. But the, but the writer of the song has communicated something. Looking for love in all the wrong places, right? You, we, we do it all of the time. Continually looking for the living among the dead. We are looking for acceptance from the wrong people. We're looking to be accepted by all of our peers and make sure everyone approves of us. Does that matter? Looking for the living among the dead. We do it all of the time. We are looking for security in all of the wrong areas of our lives. We want to make sure we have a good job. We want to make sure that we have a good 401k, diversified in our, in our funding, making sure we're getting the most return for all of our investment. We want to make sure we got saving in there for three, six, a year, whatever. You want to make sure you have all these securities. But if you die today, where do you go? I can tell you all that stuff goes. If you don't have a will, it gets crazy. If you have a will, it goes to whoever you left it to. Where do you go? Where do you go? You died today. The Bible says it clearly. None of us, me, every person in this place, none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us. And so the question is, if you walk out of this place today, freak accident happens, where do you go? Yeah, great. Secure job, secure marriage, relationships, secure this, secure that. Everything's secure. What about your eternal security? What about that? What about the real hope? The real hope that we as Christians are supposed to have. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what the Bible says in the book of Colossians. That is the hope of glory that we are supposed to hold on to. And that is the hope of glory that the Bible shows us when we look at the resurrection. We want security everywhere, but we need to have security eternally. The third thing, please repeat this after me. The resurrection, the resurrection. Restores, restores our witness, our witness 
for Christ and enables us to bear fruit. The book of Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, you ever been hoping for something, hoping something is going to happen, hoping someone's going to come through? I remember being a little kid and, and, you know, I'm glad my mom and, you know, no one is here to hear what I'm about to say because they would get highly offended. Um, But nonetheless, you know, when I was a kid, you know, sometimes as parents, we have all good intentions, right, to do stuff. Like, I'm going to take you to the park, or I'm going to bring you this, or I'm going to get you that. And sometimes things happen that I can never go to the park or never get that thing that I got. And so you're hoping, hoping, hoping. It doesn't happen. And what happens? Your heart gets sick. Before you know it, you know what can happen? You can become, if you have enough promises broken, you become a person that's like, man, what am I hoping for? It hurts me. That's where we come up with these crazy sayings, you know, hope for the best, expect the worst. Great. Great theology. I live my life, I, you know, this is crazy. That's crazy. That's hope deferred. Makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, what's the desire? Listen, you may not know what your desire is. Pastor Robert said it. There are two kind of people that are in here. There are the righteous and there are the wretched. There are the people that know Jesus and the people who do not. And I want you to understand something. There is no in-between. I mean, let, 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 let me make it clear to you. You could have been raised in church all your life, know every Bible verse I'm talking about, heard this same message preached 110 times. I don't know how that would be possible. It's the first time I've ever heard it because I'm preaching it right now. But anyway, you could, you, you, you could have been raised up in church, and if you're not walking with him, you don't know him. You understand what I'm saying, right? There's, knowing about him is not knowing him. Two kind of people in this place. They're the ones that really have hope, and they're the ones that are hopeless. They're the ones who are able to bear fruit. Notice what happens here. They get the revelation about the resurrection. The Bible tells us in verse 8, so they went out. I'm sorry, verse 7. Let's go to verse 7. He said, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he, as he has said. It's amazing because he points out, there you will see him as he said. What is important for us is that we stand upon what Jesus says. That we believe what Jesus says no matter what it looks like. He goes, it goes on in verse, verse 8 to show their response. And it says, so they went out quickly. They, they, they didn't waste time trying to contemplate, is this the right thing to do? No, they moved quickly. They moved quickly to do what? To go and begin to witness, to go and begin to communicate. They fled from the tomb. They realized he's not there. No reason to continue here. And they trembled and were amazed. Remember, they, 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 had, they had experienced that shock of the reality that Jesus is alive. Hear me. You need that reality. If you are one that does not know him, you need to get that in your heart, in your spirit. You need to understand he is alive. Why? Because as long as he is not alive, as long as he is not real, nothing matters. When we talk about eternity, it doesn't matter. When we talk about you dying, doesn't matter. But when you understand that Jesus is alive, that means everything else that this Bible says is true. That means everything that the Bible declares will happen. That you will spend eternity in hell, separated from God. Eternity is a long time. Understanding clearly the resurrection is true. Therefore, the Bible talks about eternity. And I will spend eternity either with him or apart from him. 
One of the two. There's no in-between. There's no limbo state. I know some of y'all been taught, you know, there's a place where people like remain like in limbo until someone who's alive pays enough for you to get to heaven. False. Not true. It is important that we understand the resurrection is real. These disciples got a glimpse. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When the desire comes, tree of life. Now they're able to go and bear fruit. Can I tell you something? One of the first signs that our hope is dissipating is when our conversation changes. Hear me. One of the first signs that our hope is dissipating, our conversation changes. Have conversation with folks. Talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus. They love them some Jesus. Jesus did this. The Lord showed me this. God this. God that. And all of a sudden, conversation changes. They're not talking about Jesus anymore. You know what that's usually a sign of? You're not talking about him because you're not talking with him. You're not spending time with him. Therefore, you stop talking about him. He's not as important to you. He's not as exciting to you as he used to be. But you know what? Can I say this? It's not about you being excited. It's about you understanding what Jesus did for you. Let that be your excitement, not just some feelings and some emotion. Because nowadays we want to feel all kind of stuff. We're not worried about the truth. I'll say it again. Nowadays, we want to feel all kind of stuff. We're not worried about the truth. The truth is this. You can feel nothing and die. And when you stand before God, guess what? You're going to feel the full wrath of God. Intimacy with Christ is based upon the reality of this resurrection. Can't have intimacy with someone who is dead. Can't have relationship with someone who is dead. But he's not dead. He is risen. I close with this. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Turn there with me if you would. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 12. When you have it, say amen. And we'll start reading in verse 11. It says, therefore remember that you. Now right now he's speaking to church people. He is speaking to save people. He is speaking to those who have an understanding of the resurrection. It says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, meaning that they were separated from God. They didn't have a relationship with him. Before they came to Jesus, before they experienced his resurrection power, they were Gentiles. Everybody in here, if you don't know Jesus, you would be, you would be a person who is considered a Gentile. It says, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, there are two groups of people. Let me explain it really quickly. There's one group of people. They're Jewish people. They're the, they're the covenant people of God. They're, you know, they're known because of circumcision. And so that's them. They're like, we're good because we, we know we have this. Jesus comes in the, in the thing and he, he comes into the earth and he wipes all that out. He says, listen, I'm going to make one body, one people that are going to be my people because of my blood, because of my sacrifice, because of who I am. Well, he's communicating to them. He's, Paul is telling him here. He's like, you're the people of uncircumcision. You're the people who were Gentiles. The circumcision by those made with the flesh. And verse 12 is a verse I want you to focus on. He said that at that time, when you were Gentiles, before you knew Jesus, you were without Christ. 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. If you are in here today and you know Jesus, you're in a great place. Because even when you're going through hopeless situations, you have a hope that keeps you focused on him. You have a hope that keeps you looking forward. You have a hope. It's not about a positive life. It's not, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Understand me. We need to realize that the hope that Jesus offers us is an eternal hope in him. He doesn't just want to make us feel good. He doesn't just want to make us experience just good stuff. No, he wants us to know him. Without him. And I can't make this any prettier or any softer than what it is. The Bible says this. If you are without him, you are without hope. You're without hope. But you know what the beauty of this is? Is Jesus died to give you hope. Jesus died and resurrected to give you hope. And today he calls you. Today he says, if you're my son and you're my daughter, you need to be praying for those who are not my sons and my daughters. If you're not my son, if you're not my daughter, if you haven't come to me, if you haven't put your faith in me, if you haven't accepted my sacrifice, today's the day. On the day that you celebrate my resurrection, let's all stand to our feet. Bow your heads, please. And I want you for just one moment, I want you to forget about anybody else that is in this building. I want you to forget about anybody else. I want you to listen to my voice, please. And I want you to think about you and your standing with God right now. I want you to consider where you are. I want you to really think about this. I, I want you to really consider this. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? This is the most important question that I could ask you. If you died today, right now, in the condition, in the state you are, where would you spend eternity? you spend eternity Jesus died so you could spend eternity with him but here's the reality the reality is you have to make a decision you have to make a decision decision you are either going to walk with him or you will walk without him and I'll make this real crystal clear walking with him is not the easy way to walk with Jesus you will have to walk away from people to walk with Jesus you will have to walk away from certain activities and certain lifestyles to walk with Jesus you will have to lay your life down and live for him that's what it means to repent it means to turn away from everything from everyone from every mindset that separates you from God to walk with him so every eye is closed every head is bowed I ask you to forget about everybody else in this room except you and God because it is important for me that you don't think about who's gonna respond or who's not going to respond it is about you and him and so if you say, God, I want to make that decision. I want to walk with you no matter who else wants to walk with you. 
If that's you in this place, I just want to see your hand lifted up before the Lord. I see the hand. 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 Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm going to ask you to do something real bold. Our first service, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar if you raised your hand. And there's some of you that have made this decision for the first time. But if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to just touch your neighbor and come out of there. And the pastors are going to pray for you. So come on forward if you raise your hand. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love. Today is a new day. Today is a new day. Today is a resurrection day. God, today, Lord, we ask you to have your way. To have your way in us. To have your way in our hearts, God. This altar remains open. You may not have raised your hand, but you know God is calling you. You don't, you, you don't, you don't even understand it, but you just feel something inside of your heart. You just know God is saying, come forward. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so very much, God. On this altar, just begin to humble your heart. Just begin to talk to him. Begin to lay down those burdens. Begin to lay down every concern, everything that has held you back today. I'm going to ask everybody in this place to pray this prayer with me. Whether you're on the altar or not, we're going to pray together as a family. And this is a prayer of, of commitment. This is a prayer of repentance. This is a prayer of submission unto the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to pray.